The rule still stands. My daughter, Lord willing, is going to college in the fall. And I said, if you're leaving every day of senior year, I get a hug. No questions asked. No fighting. I would like if she hugged back. The rule still stands. Because um, basically, I have needs. Okay? I, I, you know, I want a hug before she leaves. I was thinking, it would be interesting, if when she leaves to college, I could care less if she had food to eat, a place to stay, uh, sheets for the bed, Maybe money. It would be very interesting if all I cared about was to make sure I got my hug before she left. <laughs> and when she leaves, well, just go figure it out. Well, I want to remind us again, in these chapters, as we've said every week, it just it seems to be uh, really permeating through my mind and my soul a little bit here that the Lord Jesus is about to go die. He's about to leave. There's so many more things he could say. And I don't see one time, really, where the disciples say, hey, what do you need? Not one time do they ever seem to flip the script and go, listen, if you're going to the cross, what do you need tonight? Not once. I just want to, again, just... Just bring light to the fact of who we are as people. And and on top of the fact that they are not looking after his needs at all, that the Lord Jesus is putting away his own feelings, and he's still concerned about their needs and what's going to happen coming to them. It's It's just complete selflessness from our Savior. And I want to bring to mind again the context of what we're reading so that as we're reading through this passage, we will miss so much again if we don't have on the forefront of our minds the idea that he's about to go to the cross, he's about to rise from the dead, he's about to leave the earth. That the Messiah, God in flesh, has come, has done his Father's will, and is about to go back home. That's the context of what's happening here. And he's going to try to talk to his disciples about what's going to happen to them. And it doesn't seem like once they care about his needs. Let's read in chapter 16 again. As I mentioned last week, this is just a couple verses that he has said, they have hated me without cause. In verse 16, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said those things to you Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they did not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for we... For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your uh, character. Even seen in these couple chapters as we study here that on the night of your betrayal, uh, the day before your death, uh, you are concerned and want to make sure that you are in empowering, so to speak, and, and, and comforting, and, uh, and just speaking so much truth to your disciples. Um, just, we, we stand in awe that uh, you have done all these things and said all these things to your disciples, uh, that you didn't make them wash your feet that night, that you wouldn't uh, get the best food the best wine, that you wouldn't um, just have them try to bring you peace and comfort. Lord, you're worthy of those things. And so we pray, uh, Lord, it's, it's, uh, it is not in our uh, will, capacity, or power to be like you in such areas, that we would be selfless and not worry about ourselves. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like you. In this time, be honored and glorified. Thank you so much uh, for the Holy Spirit. And pray again that He would control the words that I speak, that He would control the hearts, that we would give Him reign as the Spirit indwells in us individually here at Branford Bible Chapel, that He will do a work this morning. And we pray that we would not hinder the Spirit of God, that you would be honored and glorified for it. Thank you for the way that Godhead works. Thank you there is no jealousy and division and things like that, but that you are the perfect triune God. In your name, amen. Again, the selflessness of our Savior, he's saying these things so that they do not stumble. He's saying these things that they don't stumble. He's saying, guys, I understand I'm going away, and that will cause some of you to just completely freak out. But I want to let you know what's coming. So that you're not second guessing, you're not um, saying, hey, did we do something wrong, maybe? Okay? I also want you to understand human condition of what he says of those who kill them. Whoever kills you, it says in verse 2, will think that he offers God's service. That humans will kill the disciples in the upcoming future events and think they're doing God a favor. And then Jesus tells us in verse 3, and yet they do not know God the Father or me. Is it possible that humans would think they're doing something for God and not even know who God is? Absolutely. It happens here. I want us to remember human conditions. I want us to remember overall in this whole 
um, chapter that we are in is that, again, the world and all the people in it have had God in the flesh for the last 30 years on earth. They have heard and they have seen, as we said previously last week, he has testified by his word, he has given a testimony by his works, and the world is about to reject him. The world is about to reject them. That's why he says um, in verse 5, Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? It is not the idea that they, we've already actually read about, right? When Thomas said, hey, we don't know the way, where are you going? It's the idea that Jesus is saying, because I have now told you what's going to happen to you, that you're going to suffer, that you will die. They'll kick you out of the synagogue. Think about Jewish culture and all that that means. They will lose respect um, from their peers. Um, they'll be an outcast, etc., etc. You didn't ask me where I was going. It says, because sorrow has filled your heart. When sorrow fills our heart, it is so hard to think about other people, isn't it? All that they owe the Lord Jesus, all the wisdom they could grasp from Him, all the, hey, but wait a minute, Lord, as soon as the tables are turned and they hear, you're going to die for this too, sorrow fills their heart. And I don't blame them for throwing a pity party. I just want to, again, talk about human condition. It is nice to throw ourselves pity parties especially when it's a real pity party to have. To die is not really fun. <laughs> to be cast out of the synagogue, to go over there about the This is the real deal. This is not like, hey, you know, it's going to be a little hard for you. This is a hard thing to hear, and sorrow fills them up. I just want to be, I just want to be careful as a believer in the Lord Jesus that if sorrow fills my heart, it does not stop me it does not stop me from thinking about other people. It doesn't stop me from seeing I'm not the only one going through the situation. It doesn't stop me from seeing that I get heaven so that, again, that is our encouragement to go through the sorrow. He would sit there and say, again, another selfless thing I would say, it will be to your advantage that I go away. Because the Helper comes when I depart. This is the Holy Spirit. And again, this is a, um, a, a very interesting time in history on this planet. Jesus is going away. God in the flesh has been on the planet for 30 plus years. He's going away. And now the Spirit of God is coming. It, it, for you to sit there and say, how in the world could it be better... For Jesus to leave and the Spirit of God to come is a very good question. Okay, but as you would know, right, Jesus, because he, he um, took on flesh, he could not be in every place at every time, or he chose not to be, however theologically you want to make that work in your mind. Okay, there's times where, you know, he went to sleep, the disciples might have gone off and got a donkey for him, they were not necessarily with him. He's saying... Your advantage, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to be with you every moment of every single day. This is crazy news. This is, is life-changing news that we have said before that the Old Testament saints have never had. The Spirit of the Lord could come and go upon people. And Jesus is saying, because your advantage, when I leave, the Spirit of God 
will now indwell in you from here to the end. And guys, we do need to have more of a recognition of the times we live in that they are wonderful and great because the Spirit of God lives in us. And yet, I'm I'm guilty, probably like you, that we don't seem to understand the life-changing effect that should have in our lives. That the very Spirit of God lives in us. But let's see what this Spirit is going to do or why He's going to come. And again, we can think of this from a heavenly perspective, right? The angels are sitting there going, oh my goodness, in this little town of Bethlehem, God wrapped himself in a baby, and for 30 plus years, I don't know how time works in heaven, they've seen the God-man walk on earth. Then they're going to see him be crucified, rise from the dead, and then the Holy Spirit is now going to live on earth in individual lives. From heaven's perspective, this is like, what is going on? That's why we have verses again. We would know things or have wisdom that angels would long to look into. What is the Holy Spirit going to do when Jesus goes away? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this is what he's going to do for the world. Not necessarily for the believer. Now, there'll be some parallels, but I want to keep you in the the right frame of mind. This is what the Holy Spirit does for the world. For the world. When it says he will convict... I have a definition here to convict, to confute, to refute, usually with a suggestion of putting the convicted person to shame. Okay, so when we read these things, the idea is the Spirit of God will work in the world to kind of be able to explain these things and convict the world of these three things, and it will be to their shame. It will be to their shame. And some of that is the fact that the world right here is rejecting the Messiah. That's what they're doing. One person wrote this for this verse. Man cannot come to an understanding of sin, righteousness, and judgment apart from the Holy Spirit. In its insanity, the world regarded Jesus as a sinner, itself as righteous, and ended up pronouncing false judgment on Jesus himself. I'm going to read through that again. As the Holy Spirit comes to convict these three topics, here's what the world did. In its insanity, the world regarded Jesus as a sinner, itself as righteous, and it ended up pronouncing false judgment on Jesus himself. That's why the Spirit of God has to come to the world and try to convince them otherwise. Someone would say this, sin is the truth about man, righteousness is the truth about God, judgment is the inevitable combination of these two truths. It's very, it's easier, I guess, if you want to say, for a preacher to be given verses 9, 10, and 11, because it goes into a little more detail, exactly what it means that he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So let's look at the Holy Spirit, his job of convicting the world of sin. Why? Because they did not believe in me. The greatest sin someone could ever accomplish is not trusting in who Jesus is. We have a lot of moral things we think are wrong, and they are sin. 
uh, based on God's word. But the number one greatest sin is not taking Jesus at his word. Not believing in him. Not trusting in him. And I want to let you know, I don't want to forget the fact that the Holy Spirit has been at work for over 2,000 years right now, convicting the world that they should listen to Jesus. I want you to think about that. That in God's eternal plan, for the last couple thousands of years, the Spirit of God has been on earth, convicting it to our shame. you got to trust in Jesus. That Jesus came to this earth, and He died for your sins. And He claimed He is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that the world continually rejects it. And this idea of convicting is also interesting to me to see the human condition. Do you think that the Holy Spirit is failing at this? I don't think so. But again, in great theological things that are too far from my simple brain, you can be a human being on this earth. Have the Holy Spirit convict you and show you where you're wrong and just turn around and say, I'm not going to change anyway. The Spirit of God is here telling the world they need to trust in Jesus. He's not doing a bad job. I just want to look at the depth of how gross the human heart can be and just say, I just don't care. You know, those are blanket statements, kind of the way my mind works. I know there's a lot there, but the Holy Spirit's doing it. And the reason I say all this is when we did our theological, uh, our doctrinal study here on Wednesday nights a few years ago, I had the Holy Spirit, and and I think it was the first time I heard of uh, when the Holy Spirit leaves this earth. After Jesus Christ comes back, what a scary thing that is. I mean, you think it's bad now? You think people are immoral now? The Holy Spirit is still kind of kind of keeping the, the, the hemorrhaging from overflowing. When he leaves, you talk about tribulation and, and, and a dark place to be on earth. That's going to be a scary time. A scary time when the Holy Spirit just leaves and no longer convicts people of their sin. And man really does do whatever is right in his own eyes. I do not want to be here when that happens. The last time we came close, God put a whole flood on the earth. I mean, that's what happened. When we talk of sin and and rejecting Jesus, that yes, part of the Spirit's job uh, in our own lives is to convict us of sin. And I don't want sin to be this dirty word that we can't talk about. Because it's not something we should not try to let the Spirit work on in our lives. As mentioned before, when you grow in your faith, get ready for Him to expose your sins. That's what happens. When you read God's word, when you grow in your faith, when you start to become a, quote, better Christian, whatever that means, okay, the next step is the Spirit of God illuminates the things in your life that are sin and that you need to change. 
That's what happens. And then we're faced with tough decisions. But I want you, as we think about this from the Spirit trying, why is He trying to convict the world of sin? Why is He telling us about sin? It's for their good. It's for their good. The Spirit of God is working around the world saying, guys, trust Jesus. Why? Just so He can get it right? It's because they're going to hell. That's why the Spirit of God is saying, please, you've got to trust Him. You have sin in your life. You're not taking Him at His word. And the end result of that is separation from Him forever. Don't let that happen. Dealing with our own sin is never fun. But if you leave sin alone in your life, it grows into something nasty. You know, the porcupine is an interesting creature. I read a story about a dog, uh, you know, messing around with the porcupine. The quills hit the dog in the face. The owner tried to take the quills out. The dog didn't seem too hurt when the quills were first put in their, its face by the porcupine. little yelp, but it was kind of relaxed. Well, the, the owner tries to take one quill out, and, and the dog ain't happy now. Dog's running around. You ain't doing that again. Now, you would think, if we can just leave the quills in the dog's you know, face where it got hit, maybe they'll just work themselves out. That's what we've been told with splinters, right? Sometimes, you know, first of all, I wasn't told that until I was like in my mid-30s, I think. Okay, I always thought you had to get them out or suddenly you would die. I remember like taking needles and just stabbing myself, trying to get a splinter out. No one told me. They do actually <laughs> work themselves out eventually. Not with porcupine quills. In fact, for some interesting reason... As they're embedded in the animal, they continue to sink lower into the flesh of the animal to the point where it can cause all kinds of infections the longer it stays in there and maybe even kill the animal. So that if your dog gets stuck, you actually are going to the vet. <laughs> they're going to put your dog to sleep. They're going to cut the quills and kind of like do and And again, taking those quills out is not a fun process. It hurts the dog. But if you leave those quills in, it can cost the dog its life. The exact same thing is how sin is in our lives. It does not feel good to get rid of sin. I like my sin. I like the pleasure of it. I do. If you're saying you don't like your sin, then why do you keep doing it? Of course we like our sin. feels good. It's natural to us. But you let that sin go, and the Spirit of God is illuminating. Hey, hey, give this up to the Lord. Hey, stop doing this. It's for your benefit. And we just kind of brush the Spirit of God off, just like the world does. Hey, you need Jesus Christ. You're on your way to hell. Mm, not going to deal with that. Let's not be like the world with our sin. We have the truth. we got to deal with it and let the Spirit of God sit there and work it out of us. And by God's grace, let's pray that God helps us not to sin.
helps us not to sin. He's also convicting the world of righteousness. Verse 10, Because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. What does that mean? It's interesting, as I said, this is what I talked about when it comes to knowing the setting of when this is happening, where these verses will start to make sense. They're actually talking about the resurrection of Christ. That's what they're talking about. The Spirit of God will convict the world of righteousness because Jesus is about to die, rise again, and then ascend into heaven, proving to the world God saw him as righteous. That's why we get excited during Easter, guys. Okay, as Greg said today, I thought it was great. Um, I love the song, Our Only Defense, His Righteousness. The resurrection that's about to happen in maybe four days, is my math right, is proving that he was righteous. That you killed an innocent man. That he took the weight of the world upon him and all the wrath of God. And then God looked at his son and said, but there was no sin in his life. Hence, he is raised from the dead. And the Spirit of God can look at the world and say, there is a man who rose from the dead. There's only one who did it on his own. His name was Jesus Christ. Why is it that that man was raised from the dead? He was righteous. He was righteous. Sometimes when kids are growing up, I love that stage of life where they're learning about money. And they might see the parents write a check. And in their head they think, if you want a new car, all you have to do is write a check. Right? Dad, you wanted the bigger TV. I've seen you and Mom do it before. Get that check out. Just pay them. And we all know something called a check bounce, which means you didn't have enough money to cover it. Guys, Jesus Christ died, and his blood bought, bought, Every human being on this earth bought him back. That's what the word redeem means. And when he rose from the dead, it meant the check cleared. It meant that's how righteous he was. That's how wealthy he was. That his blood could make the payment for everyone. There was someone called Dr. Seam. Mans, who tells of a Muslim who became a Christian in Africa. Some of his friends asked him, Why have you become a Christian? He answered, Well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road, and suddenly the road forked into two directions. You didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork in the road were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one are you going to ask the way to go? We serve a risen Savior. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is convicting the world, saying, Guys, there is someone who's conquered death. His name is Jesus Christ. He's right with God. 
And now the church, we read in Romans chapter 4. Let me read it because it's such a great verse. Not that they're all not great. In verse 24, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised because of for our justification. Christ, our righteousness. There's other verses talking about he is our righteousness because he rose from the dead. We are not going to raise ourselves from the dead. We have sinned. We're not right with God. But we get to claim Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God reminds us of this. When we feel down and we feel low, and we think, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Actually, you're righteous. He was raised for your justification like you have never sinned. And it confuses us because we know who we are. And yet, if we would have simple faith and trust, we'd say that must mean how awesome he is. That the one man has sent into the world through one man. Life also comes through one man. One man did it. His name was Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life. So that now when God the Father looks at us and says, why should I let you into heaven? We say, because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He's our righteousness. And the Spirit of God is convicting the world There is someone righteous out there. His name is Jesus Christ. Of judgment is his third thing he's going to convict the world of. And it says there in verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. I want you to think what happens when Jesus Christ rises from the dead four days from now about Satan. When Satan, I don't know how he thought, I really don't care, okay? But there was a part there where I'm sure he's thinking, this is it. We're killing the Messiah. Maybe I win. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But now, now that Jesus rose from the dead, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And it should scare the devil and all the fallen angels. It should scare the world. Because as we read in Hebrews and all those things, if if God has given us his son, and you put him on a cross, you humans, then he rose from the dead and he said, just trust him at his word, and you reject him, why do you think judgment's not coming? Why do you think judgment's not coming? Satan is the ruler of this world. He has been called that. I want to, again, just read quickly with some references here. You can uh, try to uh, come see me if you need the notes later. But all the strategies Satan uses with unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he blinds the minds of the regenerate. In Matthew 13.19, he snatches away the good seed of the word. In Luke 11.21, he lulls the unbeliever into a false sense of security. Second Timothy two twenty five and twenty six. He lays snares for the unweary. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen and fourteen. He masquerades as an angel of light. 
In Revelation 12, 90, deceives those whose minds are not subject to the word of truth. In Matthew 13, 25 through 28, he mixes truth with error. Why do we even focus on this part? Because after the resurrection, this world is definitely condemned for what they're doing. But more than that, Satan. And he's still a liar, a thief, and a murderer like he has been since the beginning. And the Spirit of God is trying to tell the world out of love, listen, judgment's coming for Satan and his followers. Don't line yourselves up with him. He's tricking you. He doesn't care about you. He's going to make your life miserable. Don't go that way. Jesus said he'd come to you but have life and have it abundantly. Trust me, Satan is about to get judged. Horrible judgments are coming. Don't line up with him. Don't line up with him. And that's where we get into verse 12. I still have many things to say to you now, but you cannot bear it. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, timing is everything when we say stuff. Jesus only spoke truth. He had a lot of things to say to his disciples, and he had recognized, you're not ready to hear them right now. It just questions me. Do I ever say, I'm not going to say this because you're not ready to hear it now. <laughs> I should have a lot of times in my marriage or my children. You're not ready to hear this right now. I see that now. I usually am not good at that. Instead, Jesus, with his disciples, you're not ready to hear this right now. But, it's not that I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you with your, the Spirit of God when I leave. Now, this is interesting. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Okay. Again, they are about to go through a, a different... Um, can we even say dispensation? Okay, the age of the church. Things are about to change. As we said, right after this, it could be really confusing. As a disciple, remember, they thought he's setting up the kingdom on earth. Now he's going to die. They're going to die. The Spirit of God, someone unseen is coming, but don't worry, he'll guide you into all truth. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot to hear. Because now that we have an unseen God, how do we know if you're actually spirit-led or not? Okay, as Jesus leaves and they're trying to make decisions on how church should be and, and, and spreading the gospel and, and what does it mean? Can we actually eat those foods we couldn't as Jewish people? And there is so much stuff coming in the next months and years. How do we know the truth or not? And this is again... The amazing part of God's plan, he goes, listen, I'm going to give you the Spirit of God who never leaves you. He will guide you in all of this truth. But let's look at how that works. One thing uh, interpreters would say uh, is in this, and this, this guy said it perfect. In one sense, when it says the Spirit will guide them into all truth, this was fulfilled when the New Testament writings, divinely inspired by God, were completed. Okay? 
were completed. So there is a truth to the, the Scripture, the Holy Scripture is about to be done and fulfilled. That's one of them. In another sense, the Holy Spirit continues today to personally lead us into truth, but never in opposition to the Scripture, because God's supremely authoritative revelation is closed with the New Testament. Okay, now to get a lot into today, the message is suddenly switching gears of how the Holy Spirit works and things like this. But in this context, listen, he always uses scripture and the Holy Spirit says here or Jesus is saying he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit only takes from what Jesus says. Now, again, talk about the humbleness and the Godhead and all that stuff is amazing. But there is no new divine revelation that the Spirit of God says afterwards. And he's making this clear to them this night. Guys, if you're going to be confused, don't worry. It will always line up with Scripture. It will always line up. Someone wrote it this way. One may speak of dreams, visions, experiences, revelations, and say they came from the Holy Spirit. But many of those supposed revelations of the Spirit say nothing or almost nothing about Jesus himself the role of the holy spirit here he says he will glorify me so in these dealings of the spirit the spirit is constantly trying to point us to who jesus christ is so in your own personal life you think the spirit is leading you and or uh, however way you want to do that yes we are bad as the pendulum swings we should be asking the spirit of god to control us to illuminate us things of like that but the Spirit of God, how do you test if something's from the Spirit of God or not? If Jesus isn't in the picture, it's not from the Spirit of God. Because he will always glorify Jesus. Always glorify Jesus. Another one would say this verse is just, uh, decisive against all additions and pretended revelations subsequent to and besides Christ. It is being the work of the Spirit to testify and declare the things of Christ not anything new or beyond him. Okay? His work is to glorify Jesus Christ. All right. Now, in closing, I would like to say again, I feel like in some ways this is a little more positive than last week. I got two weeks here where it's kind of like, whew, just some heavy preaching, at least to me. I will say this, remember in this passage, as we hear the Spirit of God convicting of sin and judgment and righteousness and all our response to that, that He is called our helper. He's called our advocate. As much as what's coming down the pike of the world being judged and things like that, at the exact same time, interlining in these verses is God Himself, Jesus Christ Himself saying, the advocate is here for you. He's going to guide you in all truth. The helper is here. I told you I'm not going to leave you alone. And that is the great truth that we would have in our own lives. Is that God himself, again, the spirit of God, has come to indwell in us to help us, to advocate for us, to stick up for us, and to guide us into all truth. If we don't allow him to do it in our lives, then shame on us. Because that's what the world does. They ignore the spirit of God. We have to be opposite of the world, guys. We have to be those that say, spirit of God, if there's something you need to teach me, then let it be. If there's sin in my life that I, you need to show me, then show it. 
If I don't feel righteous, help me again. See I'm righteous. Advocate for me, Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, we praise you again that um, it, it really is a, uh, a, a... No one can harm or hinder your plan. Every verse we uncover, every chapter we read, you have done all these amazing works that we can succeed at this Christian walk that you have called us to, that it might benefit us, that we might be close to you. During this uh, time in history, Lord, again, thank you that you are the one that said, I'll give the Spirit of God to you, to indwell in you. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is doing your work even now in the world, convicting it of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Thank you that we are not judged that we will not suffer your wrath, for we would claim Jesus Christ as our righteousness. Thank you for these deep truths. And again, Lord, as we claim these promises and we meditate on them, I pray that it would change our lives, that we will be a people that really, truly trust and believe in what you say, that it would affect our daily decisions and our daily lives, that we have the Spirit of God in us to help us, to guide us into all truth. Oh Lord, thank you so much for adopting us into your family. In your name, amen.